Kat Cho, author of the Gumiho Duology and Once Upon a K-Prom. And I'm Clarabel Iritega, author of Ghost Squad and Witchlings, and this is Write or Die. Good. <laughs> we didn't mess up. We didn't mess up. That's not going in the bloopers. <laughs> um, you know I do bloopers now. That's my new thing. Good, as you should. I don't know if you listened to the season three bloopers. They were classic. I didn't, but I'll do that ne- like now. I didn't know they existed. <laughs> Available on our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to hear um, the bloopers? Well, we've got news for you. Give us a dollar. <laughs> we've got great news for you. If you want to hear us being a hot mess, first of all, you just need to listen to us doing literally anything. But second of all, go to our Patreon. <laughs> yep, exactly that. Um. Anyway, <laughs> how are you? I'm good. I'm really excited because I have started uh, the process for revise- revising my young adult book, which I haven't been able to work on because I've been Yay! so busy with everything else. Yeah. So today I've been just like organizing, condensing the notes that I got from my agent. Mm-hmm. So it's like just like the bullet points of what I need to do. And now I'm doing a chapter by chapter outline with like all the changes I need to make in each um, chapter, which is how my editor did it for me for Witchlings. And it was so super helpful that like now I have to do that from now on. I can't just do I usually do just like a big document and like change yeah. things as I go. But it, it's it's more work up front to organize it. But I feel like the revision process itself will be a lot simpler this way it, I, it's really interesting that you pointed that out because I realized one of the things that works um I tr- I've tried to be more of a plotter when I draft but it just doesn't work like when when I do my first draft I have to feel the characters and if I'm forcing myself to stay on like a roadmap it feels really unnatural to me and then I get like caught up but for revision notes I am like super hyper organized like that like making spreadsheets so I think it's just kind of like people like every author is organized actually it's just that where that organization is um, concentrated changes yeah for sure and I think that like for me because I'm also a pantser like I sort of I avoided outlines for so long but now that I I'm always on deadline and I'm so busy all the time like I, I realized like this is the best way for me not to get overwhelmed to just make sure that I'm organized so that the process of writing or revising is a lot less chaotic <laughs> um, <laughs> so that if something goes wrong, I'm not like like struggling with time constraints as well. You know, I'm giving myself as much padding as I possibly can by doing the organization thing. Um mm-hmm. And I think I've, I've said this before on the podcast, but when when Lee um, Bardugo said like she did, she couldn't afford to rewrite a whole book, which is, sometimes if you're a pantser, that happens because yeah. you you don't realize you like you like write yourself into a corner or like you're just going on vibes only. And then you read back on it and you're like, oh, there's so many things I have to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but doing that work up front, I think, really takes a lot of the sort of reorganizing and fixing not that you won't be doing that anyway you 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 can but but not in like not as intensely like you have a lot more time to like think things through and make sure they work um and you give more of yourself more of a chance to write a clean draft or do a clean revision I feel 
For sure. For sure. It's definitely good to like also regularly check in with yourself and reassess like your working needs. Cause mm. like what I need to revise, you know, this book might be different than what I need to revise another book, but I'm glad that you found this, um, this strategy that like seems to be working for you for now when it comes to revision notes. Yeah. I mean, especially because Emily, my editor at Scholastic did that for me. I, first of all, wow that's so great and second of all it just really it soothed my brain like Mm -hmm. a lot of times uh when I'm writing I keep so much stuff up in my head and Mm -hmm. I've it it, it's almost like an addiction to do that in a weird way like it feels like 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 a fun puzzle (laughs) for me (laughs) um it's very strange but like I realized like I was making more work for myself by doing that so um and when I revised Witchlings with, like, Emily's guide, I realized, like, wow, this is really, like, for me, like, this, this really helped me to feel less overwhelmed and to get things done in a much more methodical way, and, um, and I really liked it, so I think I'm gonna do that from now on. Cool, I love that, I love that. Yeah! Um, that's fun. I'm very excited for the revision of this young adult as you're well as you are well aware Claire, yeah I'm obsessed <laughs> I'm freaking obsessed with story and I cannot wait for it to be out in the world but yeah it's gonna um, be really it's get like the changes I'm making are so good like ugh, I'm, I'm I can't wait for you to read it <laughs> <laughs> I'm super excited I'm super excited you know that I'm here for reading at any point in the process for the story because I'm obsessed with these characters I've I have like read I think multiple different stages at this point, right? Uh, yeah, I you you read um you read like the f- the first chapters like when I first came up with the idea yes. when it was just one POV. Then you read mm. when I switched it to like two POVs. Ugh, um, yes, and so you met good. Hemlock, and that was Ugh. very exciting for everyone. Involved. Love Hemlock. <laughs> um, so we'll see. So we'll see what happens. I feel like um I feel like this revision is going to be really good. So editors, if you're listening, pay me a lot of money. Yeah, you want to be there at the, you know, at the beginning so that you can like snatch up this story and and be like, I helped, I helped shepherd in the Clarabelle A. Ortega YA, um, like era. (laughs) Exactly. That's how I see it. Um, Anyway, we do, you know, we do have a listener question, actually. Woohoo! Um, okay, so this listener said that they'd love to hear what you have going on with other things in publishing, like gearing up for DV Pit, other publishing stuff, and what that entails. And then the second part of the question is, what did you struggle with writing those weeks that you had other things scheduled and programmed? Um, what did you do well? And they also want to know what publishing events have we attended and any hints or lessons we learned from attending those publishing events. So it's this three part. It's a, a three lot part question. of questions. All right. So the first one, they want to know what, like, other things. What it entailed, publishing. like gearing up for, like, so, stuff like DV Pit, probably DV Con too. Mm. Stuff um, like that. So we, so we just we talked about this in another episode, but we just had like a big DV con planning weekend over at mm-hmm. highlights. So that was great. It's a lot Super of work. Um, and I, I, are they asking things that we're involved in or think like as organizers or as authors or both? I think, I think they want to know what goes into organizing these types of events. Um, mm-hmm. but first, okay. 
why don't we tell people what DV Pit and DVCon is? Sure. Just in case. Sure. So DV Pit is a pit. It's a it's a Twitter pitch contest, which means you pitch your book um, uh, on a specific date and time uh, with like certain guidelines, and you use certain hashtags in order for like agents and editors to notice your story, and then if they like your pitch. They're basically requesting your materials and you send it to them. So it's like it's it's like querying, but like publicly a little bit. And then <laughs> a, a lot of times um, and I mean, you won't get rejected in public, but you're sort of getting the requests in public. Right. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then it's it, the process from there is like traditional querying, except sometimes it does move you up to the front of the line, especially if there's like a lot of excitement behind your book. We've seen that happen. Like someone yep. get tons of requests and then agents are like thirsty to read their materials, <laughs> which, you know, they, it can be a wait sometimes. Yes. The mm-hmm. first book I ever queried, it took a full year and a half to get the final rejections. It was all rejections for that book. But it took up to a year and a half for me to even hear back from some of the agents mm. to finally reject my book. And yeah. the second time I queried was after I did the very first DV pit. And, you know, I heard back from the first agent the same day I sent the query. That was mm-hmm. that was the lovely Jim McCarthy, who we all who we adore, but who rejected both of us. Yeah. <laughs> God damn um, it, Jim. But it did make a difference that I had pitched first in DV pit. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, so that's DV Pit, and then DV Con uh, is an on it's an online free conference specifically for marginalized creators, where there are different panels, information about publishing, about craft. There's like um, networking opportunities. There's a Discord where a you Discord, can yeah. meet other writers. We have um, instructional mini videos where people give tips on things like. Um, like creating a hook for a book or or taking your own headshot stuff like that so it's funny because DVCon was always envisioned to be virtual mm-hmm. but because of covid like it seems like it's virtual because everything else is virtual but it was originally the the plan was to have a virtual thing so that it would be accessible but um i don't think a lot of people realize that it's been yeah. in the works for quite some time yeah we had the idea for DVCon like way back in the day like mm-hmm. Clarabelle and I both did the very first DV pit that was April 2016. So mm-hmm. that's our friend anniversary, anniversary. too. Um, and then we both got agents fairly quickly, all things considered, from mm-hmm. our pitching in that. Yeah. And we were just so grateful that we reached out to Beth, who happened to be my agent after DV pit, um, the creator of, of DV pit and DVCon, Beth Phelan. And we were like, if you need any volunteers, like, to help run the next DV pit, we're always around because we're really grateful. And that's how you and I got involved behind the scenes Mm -hmm. on it. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of DV pit itself and, like, what goes into it, like, Beth does, like, the crux of the work for that. Yeah. Almost everything. But there's there's stuff, like, pre-DV where, like, you practice the pitching and like cat will make graphics for that a lot of times mm-hmm. or we'll reach out to other people and be like hey do you want to volunteer we both usually give pitch advice on that day too yeah and um, we moderate the feed yeah for, and, D- for pre-dv yeah and um 
and then uh, and then Beth always has a lot of questions about stuff that we help with like oh she, we're we're like a we're like her consultant mostly yeah, <laughs> like as advisors. authors yeah like mm-hmm. advisors like as authors like we we have the perspective of authors who have also participated and gotten our agents through DV Pit. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's like a good balance because she's an agent, we're authors, and like we try to like work together um, to make sure that it's really good. And sometimes if there's changes, for example, when we added like Illustrator Day, mm-hmm. like there was a lot of organization around that. Um, and then the day of, we're basically in our group chat all day, like sort of talking about stuff and um also monitoring yeah monitoring the feed because you know there are always a couple of assholes who want to like complain (laughs) um after months of work they're like "Hmm, but what about me yeah they're like how come i don't qualify as a straight cis white you know whatever person and we're like well if you just read the first page of the website yeah and and it's like it's like i want to retweet and i'm gonna get canceled if i do it's like no you can it's just like you're you're hurting the person who's participating go go ahead (laughs) like we don't own twitter people right like no you're not gonna go to jail if you break the dv pit rules like i want to um just squash that rumor right now so anyway there's a lot of that it's just like a lot of like organization a lot of on the fly stuff a lot of monitoring um Mm -hmm. it is work it's a lot of work it is um but it's so nice because like you you can see very clearly the results of dv pit and dv con you see the connections made in the community all of the agent matches all of the book deals that have come from it um And it is a lot of behind the scenes work, but I feel like we both benefited from these systems. So we are doing our best to like also extend our hand to people who are coming after us because I think Mm -hmm. it's the right people up. Yeah, it's the right thing to do. And sometimes it does get hard because we're both incredibly busy with like Mm -hmm. our own writing and working and all of that. But um, for a writer who is feeling like, hopeless and alone it can make all the difference to have that little bit of like push and encouragement and a tool to help them sort of survive in this industry so um, yeah i'm really happy to be able to be part of it i would say there's there's not been anything like these uh particular things before and um, beth is like really innovative when it comes to to that for for real yeah definitely and like i just it's really great to see like behind the scenes how passionate she is about like these programs truly helping diverse voices like Mm. obviously like you know it does help Beth's visibility as an agent um, because she's networking with like other editors and other agents and and authors through it but like at the end of the day like what she wants the most is for diverse authors to be boosted and protected Mm -hmm. and it's kind of really nice to see like to see all the things that she thinks of to put into it in order to do those that are like invisible things that you might not notice are happening Mm. but we get the privilege of like watching that go down and it's also just like really helped in terms of like for me when I am like asked to participate in other events or asked to volunteer or just like asked to even just be a panelist because I see like all the things that Beth and you know and now the di- it's 
where a whole nonprofit, the Diverse Voices Incorporated committee points mm-hmm. out of like methods for diverse authors to protect ourselves. Mm. I'm much more better equipped. I'm yeah. better equipped to be like, well, do you have this? Or like, does your contract have this? And like, can I just ask you how this is run? Because I know that that's often a concern when it comes to programs like this now. Um, so that's been a really great personal um, benefit that I've that I've gained from being a part of both of these that I think I'll always be forever grateful for. Um, in terms of like, if, if, if this listener asked this question because they want to run a program, the thing that really helped me was that I didn't just decide to do it myself first. I became involved in other existing programs or volunteered to help other existing programs just to kind of like both help out and boost things that are already doing good in the community, mm-hmm. but also to learn from how other people did it. Because, I, like, God forbid I decide to start something and I didn't do my research and I'm stepping on toes or I'm creating something that actually creates more confusion, which can definitely happen. Um, and and it's just better. It just seemed better for me to learn from what came before and to pay respects to that. Um, and so that's why, you know, cause, cause now I'm going to run diverse book fest, um, which is going to be a, an in-person book festival for, um, run for and by diverse authors, Woo-hoo! but I'm super excited for it. It's definitely happening. Um, uh, probably 2022. And so, but I had the, I, I had the thought like, oh, great to have just like a diverse book fest. Um, but I knew that like I didn't know enough yet Mm. so I just let the idea simmer and I became involved in you know DV pit um DV con um I I helped with everywhere book fests I helped coordinate like an an Asian American author like virtual book event like I became involved in other book events volunteering and then when I felt like I had enough knowledge then I was like, I think I can do this. And I think I have enough connections and I think I have enough knowledge to do it. But like, I took my time. Like I didn't, yeah. I know it's frustrating because you're like, I, we need this thing now. And you're probably right. But the thing is, is like when for diverse creators specifically, like everyone's watching us. And if we create something that's like not successful, they're like, yeah, we knew it. We knew like diverse authors weren't going to be a draw. And they'll use any excuse to like say sure. that like, we're not, you know, as marketable or whatever. So that's why for me, at least I put a lot of time and effort into making sure like if I was going to do it, I was giving it the best chance possible because it's specifically for diverse creators. Yeah, for sure. I, um, I think that what you said initially about like seeing the things that already exist that's so important because I think a lot of times in our haste to to do something we don't realize we're also like sort of dismissing something that has been around and has been working towards the same thing so it's like always important to sort of like look around and make sure that you are um that you're actually filling a niche that needs to be filled and not like stepping over the work of people who have been doing something for a long time. Um, but it is, it, it, there's a lot that goes into it. I don't think people realize like how much work it is. Mm -hmm. Like think about when you try to plan something with three people, (laughs) right? Like schedules, like 
things come up. So scheduling is always really complicated. The more people you add to it, like the harder it gets. Now imagine scheduling something for like 200 different people. Like imagine having to schedule like, you know, 50 presenters. Like what goes into that? Like sometimes you're not uh, talking to them directly. You're talking to their publicist. So it's like all of this different stuff that you have to take into account and um, and it's a lot of work, and I think that anyone who who puts something together um, should be like applauded mm-hmm. because it's not it's not easy. But these are the kinds of things that make a difference in our industry, and these are the tangible, like substantial things that are actually making a difference. Is like actual activism, not like just yelling at people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, a lot of people who, like, run these events that, like, create, like, real true change aren't, like, shouting about it. They're just, like, quietly doing it (laughs) behind the scenes, and I have such, so much respect Mm. for all of them. Like, the whole team at We Need Diverse Books, um, Cerecia, who does Bronx Book Festival, like, so much is given to the community by people like that who who've created these great events for us so um there is a second and a third part of this question um okay so the second part of the question is plus what did you struggle with writing wise that week um and what do you think you did well um i think what they're asking is like the weeks that like we had to run events um honestly i don't remember anything specifically But I do know that because we're both full-time authors and we have to coordinate our own author schedules, we have gotten a lot better at saying, okay, is this when you're going to plan DVCon? Is this when you're going to plan DVPIT or whatever program? Mm -hmm. I have a book coming out XYZ time. I know what my schedule is going to be. And we let, you know, the organization know up front. Um, So we're very clear about our availability because I think one thing that a lot of authors do, especially newer authors, is that we overcommit because we're so grateful for even being invited in the first place. Yeah. And it's great to be excited and it's great to like, you know, be grateful for being invited to things because it doesn't happen for everyone. So that's it's nice to have that, you know. um, Self-awareness and that gratitude, but you also have a right to you know um time manage yourself so that you're you don't get worn out Mm. and you don't burn out because you're doing too much um the worst thing you can do for yourself is to overcommit your time um you know when you're when you're about to have a book release and then when the book comes out you like are just so apathetic because you're so exhausted and you don't want to do anything for it Mm -hmm. um because a lot of the promo that authors end up having to do is on our own Mm -hmm. um so you have to have the energy for that yeah for sure agree with all of that i have (laughs) nothing to add (laughs) um yeah like when i i know that dv con is we're we're planning on doing it around the same time in 2022 and Mm -hmm. i like blocked out the time for myself already just to be aware of like i i have committed to this so like don't don't say yes to like other virtual events or programs or anything like that so that time is just reserved for dv con and my own writing needs Mm. and there's also like an inverse of that too right where where there's sometimes like 
for me, like, my book is coming out, like, right around Mm -hmm. that time. And I've told everybody, like, hey, just so you guys know, like, I'm going to be super swamped. So um, we've tried to make sure that, like, the things that I need to do, I'm going to have enough padding beforehand Mm -hmm. um, so that I'm not scrambling. And, like, so people know I'm probably not going to be as accessible. Like, this happened with... um, with JL this year, right? Like, mm-hmm. JL had, like, a book coming out, like, the same week of DVCon. So, like, we yes. know, like, she's going to be super swamped. Like, we can't ask too much of her. Because, like, the book your the, the week your book releases is hectic. Especially mm-hmm. as a debut because you've never done it before. So, like, it's just a lot. Like, the emotions plus everything happening at the same time. Um, so, yeah. So, it can it can be a lot to juggle. But ultimately, there's always sort of, like, a feeling of, like, accomplishment and like happiness when you do these things so i think they're yeah worth it. Mm-hmm. i love that if you have if you have the bandwidth it's worth getting involved and like it's kind of cool to see like how it functions behind the scenes i do really love it um so okay the final the final part of the question is what publishing events have you attended and any hints or lessons learned from them I've attended so many events. <laughs> you like your scroll like that like rolls across the floor. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've attended tons of events because I used to work for a company that w- traveled to these shows. So I've been to like the London Book Fair, Frankfurt, um, Barcelona, Havana Book Fair. I've been to ALA, ALA Midwinter. I've been to Texas Library Association. I've been to NCTE. I've been to like pretty much everything that you could probably think of book con i was there Mm -hmm. for the very first book con ever and like (gasps) really wait i didn't know that yeah i was there when when it started Mm -hmm. and i saw the very first stampede of people running in to get the parks it was (laughs) you knew book con when (laughs) yeah i have a video of that i have a video of everyone running and it was so fun and so exciting and i've spoken at a lot of these events too um so my, my, I have a lot of like practical tips for going to events. The first one would be wear really comfy shoes. <laughs> <laughs> wear comfy shoes and bring like an alternative pair because like sometimes if the you can oh. be wearing the most comfortable pair of shoes in the world, but wearing them all day, like walking around on your feet, like it can be a lot. And mm. um, not all of the booths are carpeted <laughs> like <laughs> lushly. <laughs> Um, some of them are, and like you step on it and you're like, ah, um, but wear comfy <laughs> shoes, bring snacks, um, bring water. Like these are like mom, uh, tips, right? But yeah. those are all the things that like, if you've never been to an event, I don't think that you realize like how hectic it can be yeah. and how like tiring and overwhelming it can be as well. If you deal with anxiety, it can be super overwhelming. So like, make sure that you have time to take breaks that you, I what I would do personally is I would look at a layout of wherever the place is like a lot of times these shows have um, they have sort of like maps of like where everything is like Mm -hmm. before the show all the booths try to find a place where you can like sit down to catch your breath (laughs) um, and rest and like regroup with people uh, because it, it can be a lot like you can really have a meltdown just from like walking around sometimes. So yeah, it's good to, it's good to be prepared for all of those things. Yeah. I will say, you know, as an author at these events, there is often a green room. So whenever I've gone to these events, I make liberal use of the green room, just like to take a rest and sit down and get off of your feet. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I, I think like when you first get start getting invited as an author, you get really excited mm-hmm. and you want to like do everything. But I also think there's something to be said about reserving your energy for your own panels. And I think that that's a valid use of your space and time. Mm-hmm. Um, because I did go to an event once where my panel was the very last panel of the day. And I was super excited to be there. And like I my publisher had sent me. So I felt special, <laughs> you know, like they paid for my yeah. flight, which I know not everyone gets. So I felt really special. Um, and I did have friends who were on panels, too. So I wanted to like go to all of the panels and walk around and like just like see the space and like have fun. But because I I was so hyper excited about being there I spent all of my energy at the beginning of the day and then it was time for my panel and I was exhausted Mm -hmm. and I do think that I was a lot less on than I could have been because I hadn't um you know managed my time very well and I didn't like to just take the time to just sit and rest and I know that like it's not a guarantee that we'll continue to be invited to book events, but I don't think you can think that way, right? You can't think like, this will never happen to me again. Like I have to do everything. I think, you know, just have a healthy balance of being like, okay, I want to experience it, but I also like need to, I'm here for work. Um, so I have to be able to do the job I came here for. So if I were to like do that one again, I would definitely just like, you know, <laughs> rest a little bit more drink more water everything Clarabelle said (laughs) um already um also I I feel like you know sometimes when you're author getting invited to these events usually they'll have like a kickoff party or some kind of a thing especially when it's a weekend long thing they'll have some kind of like dinner or party or whatever that you get invited to because all authors get invited to it and I think that they're really fun to go to but if you're like me and you're actually an introvert and you don't feel like you can go, I don't think you should feel guilty about not doing the optional socializing. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, you agreed to go and be on a panel. That's all you agreed to, right? Yeah. So, like, you didn't agree to go to every single mm-hmm. dinner. Yeah. I do think I do think you should, if you can push yourself to go, you should. Don't force yourself. But, like, yeah. you also want to, you don't want to regret not trying. But, like, you can say, I'm going to go for five minutes. And if I feel overwhelmed, mm-hmm. then I'm going to leave. Another good tip is bringing, like, having a friend with you that's, like, an extrovert to help, like, you hide <laughs> from people. And, like, because if you yes. have a friend who's, like, okay in those situations, then you can lean on them right and like Mm -hmm. they can like pull you into circles to talk to people and it's like a lot less pressure it's a lot less awkward oh yes also um on the same vein um you might feel a little bit weird or awkward if you're going and you don't know anyone or like you know of people who are are going but you're you haven't met them yet but i will say most authors are very friendly and Mm -hmm. welcoming and as long as you're being professional and respectful and like just introducing yourself and just being polite then they'll they'll probably just like you know sit and talk to you especially if you're in the green room too like um if you're in the green room and like there's another author who's just sitting at a table and it's empty and you just need a place to sit and you sit down and you say hello and you start just chatting and don't feel bad about like, you know, starting a conversation um, with other authors. It, this is a very social industry and it's kind of nice to get to know other people, you know, within your comfort level, of course. Um, but don't hold yourself back because you think no one wants to talk to you. That shouldn't be the reason that you don't like meet others at these events. I've met some really, really cool authors, like some authors who like I admired 
before I became an author myself um, by just kind of putting myself out there and just saying hello because we're bo- we both happen to be on a panel together or at a festival together. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's and pretty you cool. Can, you can also reach out like beforehand, like if you don't know anybody, be like, "Hey, I'm going to this uh, fest. Are there any of my mutuals? Like, if you could say like on Twitter or Instagram that are mm-hmm. going. Um, I don't know anybody. Like, uh, can I tag along? Like, whatever. You know, just like people are usually so happy to like take you under their wing or like hang out with you. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's our. Those are our tips. I hope they help. Yes. This week, our guest is Alex Astor. Alex is an author and graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, where she majored in English with a concentration in creative writing. The Emblem Island series is inspired by Latin American myths her Colombian grandmother told her as a child before bedtime. Hi, Alex. How are you? Hi, I'm amazing. I'm so excited to be on one of my favorite podcasts. Oh, <laughs> that's so sweet. We're, We're so excited s- to have you. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny because like we've been, this is the last season, we've been interviewing a lot of people who love Ride or Die. I feel like it's so perfect. We didn't do that on purpose, but it yeah. just sort of worked out that way. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yes, I've been obsessed with the podcast for years now. I think Aww. like when you started it, Clarabelle. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> oh, so it's it's amazing to have a longtime listener. Okay, so you know how this goes. We want to know everything about your writing journey. How did you start writing? How did you get your agent? How did you get your book deal? Tell us everything. Okay, great. Um, So I started writing when I was 12 years old. I, like most authors, just love to read. Like every single summer break, I would have this big stack next to my um, bed and I would like add to it like more books and it would be this giant pile by the end of the summer. And one day I was just kind of like in the backseat of my mom's car listening to music and I had this like not vision because this isn't like the Twilight story where I had a vis- a dream of something and then it became like the biggest series ever uh, <laughs> I was 12 so I just had this like I just saw something in my head I was like that would be a cool book and then I just started writing it and I I don't know I was just I wrote it really quickly obviously it was terrible I'm 12 and I'm not um, I was 12 and I'm not like a genius or anything so (laughs) it's not like it was like the best book ever I know that there was one author who was really young and she had published a book um, and she was like 13 so I always thought that I could be like her but alas I'm not 12 or 13 Um, but yeah so I just I've been writing since then I wrote that book like three different times because for some reason I just didn't know how to like email myself the book or like save it some other way and so I kept losing it like my laptop would just crash oh my god no I know and so I would show up at the apple store at the mall like crying and be like can you save my book and they're like no and so I had to just rewrite it from scratch but it was actually like the best practice I could have ever asked for because it forced me to just rewrite it again and I at that point didn't really want to change anything I just wanted to rewrite exactly what I'd written and it was like a great exercise in like writing the exact same thing but better and better and so it took a really long time um, to rewrite it like three separate times but I started querying when I was 12 too so I actually thought that I could get that book published And eventually I gave up on that book. I wrote another book and queried it and it didn't go anywhere. I wrote another book and queried it, didn't go anywhere and another one and another one. And then um, I was just doing that throughout college too. And I was in all of the Twitter pitch um, 
things and I never got an agent. I got, I started getting some interest and some people would ask for fulls or, or stuff like that. And I would get really, really close, but then it would just not happen. I'd have to go back and, and start a new manuscript. And so I actually got my first agent the day I graduated from college. It was really cool. Like I skipped my graduation ceremony because that was the day that I had to make a decision. And I had, I think like six different offers. And so I like that I was like, this is it. My dream's coming true. Like, I don't care about my college ceremony. Like, I'm going to talk to these agents. Um, but yeah, I, I wish I could say that that's where my journey ended. And it just like was happily ever after after that. But it wasn't. Um, I signed with that agent who was an amazing agent. And we um, edited that book all summer. And then we went on submission that fall. And it didn't sell. I, I don't think we or I gave it the opportunity necessarily that it deserved because we got like, I think like six rejections. I was like, oh my gosh, it's not going to sell. Let's pull it. Um, because I, I thought that maybe we could revise it. But then I started writing, um, what would become emblem Island and it was a different genre. So me and my agent, um, parted ways. And then I was kind of back to square one where I'd been for so many years where I didn't have representation. And then I had, I had written Emblem Island and I was lucky that it was a lot faster than like previous attempts to get an agent. It only took a couple of months to get my second agent who um, then it took like five months to sell Emblem Island, my first series. And um then it just didn't work out with that agent also for a totally different reason no like bad blood or anything it was just not a fit i actually was really kind of um, obsessed with this young adult idea that we just didn't agree on and i kept trying to rewrite and rewrite it and it just wasn't working and so we parted ways before my debut even came out so when emblem island came out i didn't have an agent and i was i was really lost that was about a year ago maybe a little over a year ago because it was right before emblem island came out and then um i don't know i think that was definitely like the lowest point of my writing career because i was like oh my gosh this is years into my journey i thought like once you get your book deal or once you get an agent like everything is great but i was unrepresented in literally i was debuting and obviously during a pandemic, like Clarabelle, you know, all of yeah. all about that. Um, so then the added layer of like, I didn't have representation and it just felt like I was lost. I didn't, I knew other authors, but I wasn't comfortable being like, hey, can you like introduce me to your agent? I also think that referrals, unless it's something very specific, like, you know, that person's writing style, it's just better to go through the trenches because then you can like guarantee that like the agent wants to represent you for the right reasons and like that your manuscript is up to par because it's just so competitive. And so I literally like over a year ago, right before my first book came out, um, started writing a young adult book, the same um, idea that had kind of not my, my last agent didn't really um, like or didn't think that it was going to sell. And I just started from scratch. It was the same world, but a totally different plot. And I wrote the book over like six months unrepresented, like not knowing, am I even going to get an agent? <laughs> like my, my book just came out during a pandemic. It's not like my sales are going to be like good enough for me to just get a book deal based on those sales and it's middle grade. And so, um, I don't, I don't know what kept me like motivated to write, but I did. And I started querying, I think in November and I signed with my current agent, um, I think in December and yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. And then we sold um, that book in March 
and it was like my dream book deal and everything has been absolutely amazing and like totally different like just the opposite of how it was last year um, but I know that was a really long answer because no, <laughs> I covered like over 10 years. No, that was perfect. That was amazing. That was you so said, good. It was so like clear and sh- and like a clear path. Like if we were like, it was you dramatic. know, critiquing, we're critiquing the story <laughs> you just told us. It was dramatic. There were twists and turns I wasn't expecting. I was rooting for like, you whole time. There was, yeah, there were like rallying moments that it would inspire the audience. <laughs> so that was the query for my memoir (laughs) no I'm just kidding yeah in the middle of kind of telling that story I was like geez this is sad like I probably shouldn't be telling no that's the point though but it's not sad right because like you're you're still doing this and like you're you you got what you said was like your dream book deal and you you kept going so I think it's like any story that has a happy ending and it's like worth listening to or like compelling has like a rocky middle you know and like (laughs) you definitely had that um but but I think it's it's really cool so um so for people who don't know about um your Emblem Island series can you tell us a little bit about it sure so the Emblem Island series is set on Emblem Island a world where everyone's born with marks on their skin that represent their fate and their talents so everyone has a lifeline across their palm and it shows how long their life will be how rocky their life will be or how um, just kind of boring their life will be and they also have an emblem and that can either be a role in society like a leader or like a superpower like you can freeze things and the main character Tor Luna hates his emblem he wants it totally different one and his lifeline is really boring so he makes a wish during the annual wish ceremony where anyone can make a wish in the hopes of it coming true in the next year and he the next morning instead of waking up with his new emblem he wakes up with a curse so he and his two friends must cross emblem island for the first time in search of the only person who can reverse the deadly curse and that is the night witch yes i love it Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so exciting. As our listeners might know, you're quite famous on TikTok. You have like almost 400,000 followers, um, which is really cool. And I mean, I've heard you talk about this before, but for if there's an author that's listening that is like hoping to start a TikTok or wants tips on how to, um, you know, grow their, their following, do you have any advice for them? Yes. So my first tip, and this is something you've said before, Clarabelle, is that if you don't understand it and just don't don't understand it, not in the sense of like you don't know how to work the app. I mean, like don't understand like why people think certain videos are funny or why people think certain videos like go viral or something. Just you don't have to do every single social media. I don't really understand Twitter and I don't have a big following there. So I kind of just leave that alone because I know that I'm not the best person to try to build a following there or that people even want me on Twitter. I think that you're not, not everyone has to be on every single social media platform. So I think that's first. I think a lot of people feel a lot of pressure, um, especially authors, like feel pressure from their publishing houses to be super active. But TikTok in particular takes so much time. Like, it's not like you're just posting a photo or posting like a tweet. It takes so much time. Not that those are like invalid forms of expression or easier. It's just the time suck. Like, Twitter, if you're really creative and you're 
good at writing, you can you can write the tweet, but a video, even if you're really, really good at making videos, it's always gonna take a really long time because you have to search for the audio and you have to search for the trend. And, and um, TikTok takes a really long time because you, to be good at it, you have to like be on TikTok. You can't mm-hmm. just decide to dip in once every month and then try to make a video. Like I'm on TikTok every single day, not necessarily for my enjoyment, but I'm like scrolling through trying to find like the trends, the audios. Um, and if you're off of it for just like a few weeks, you kind of feel lost when you go back again. You're like, what are people talking about? And the trends move so quickly that every single day there's a new thing. So if you're not willing to put the time in and more importantly, if you just don't like it, like don't do that to yourself <laughs> because um, it really is just not not worth the um, investment. But if you are, if you do like TikTok and you do want to do it, I think my tips are just to be genuine um i know that that's really generic advice of like just be yourself but i don't think it's necessarily be yourself because i don't think like the persona or whatever i i post as is necessarily me um because it's just basically like me kind of going with different trends and like doing um certain things that fit into those trends i think it's more just like be genuine to like your sense of humor and like be genuine to your audience. Um, I started posting book talk specific videos, I think in January or February of this year. And that's like where my like following exploded and my video views and everything. And I've, I've definitely seen like all of my like viral videos, like the ones that get like millions of views. It's when you are posting something genuine that connects with like a wider universality and it's very specific. Um, So what I mean by that is a lot of times, like if you just look at the most viral videos on TikTok, the ones with a ton of likes have a ton of comments and like with the algorithm, all of that just feeds, um, feeds itself. And so if you get a bunch of comments, like more people are going to see your video. If people watch it again, or if they watch the whole thing, then your video is going to perform better. And those videos that get that attention are the ones that like really hit you in the chest and you're like oh my gosh like the ones that people comment and they're like for like the for you page said for you and they emphasize you (laughs) um those those are the ones that I see do really well because it it latches onto a very specific thing that almost you're like and Twitter does this too with like really good tweets that go viral it's like oh my gosh I've never had an original thought in my life because you find someone else like that has the exact same thought and there's so many of those moments in the book world like and it's kind of like you find your people you're like oh my gosh I didn't know anyone else like thought that the same thing as this and like it's just something funny and there's so much content on TikTok now it's not like it was a few years ago there's so many creators so many posts every single day that you have to be really specific now you can't just be generically funny because you have to just like have someone comment on it or like it um and I've also seen like when TikTok first started to become popular at the beginning of the pandemic like creators had to post like three times a day to be relevant um and you don't have to do that anymore I honestly think it's better just to post like once a week if because then you can just like put all of your energy into that one post and make sure it's the best one um so I don't think it needs to be something super overwhelming but I do think that TikTok is just it's, it's unique because you have to be on the app for a really long time to to really be able to create things that like connect with others. It's not impossible, obviously. I don't think it's ever like too late to build a following on TikTok or anything, but it just requires a lot of time. 
And I will say, obviously, like, thank you, Claire, but like, I, I do have a lot of followers and a lot of views, but like, there is a negative side to that is mm. I constantly feel so much pressure oh, no. to be on the app and posting. I mean, mm. it's like a good problem to have because like, it's given me so much that I, it's I still hard though. It's still work. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I constantly have to remind myself, like, I mean, it kind of, TikTok is a little bit of my job, but it's not my main job. Like, my job is to write good books, mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. can really get away from that if you're, like, so hyper-focused on, like, any social media platform. Um, and at the end of the day, like, books last way longer than, like, a viral post. Right. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'd rather be able to just, like, not have social media and write a really good book that people are going to like for years than, like, have a have a post go viral and get millions of views because the reality is like tomorrow there's going to be another viral post. So yeah, um, <laughs> that's my advice. I love that thought really, because really it, good it's advice. very, it's, it kind of gives perspective to people. I think especially like newer authors that like get involved, especially when like you kind of feel like your publisher is not doing a lot for your book. You're like, well, what can I do? And obviously social media is always the answer people will give you but then you start to focus so much more on your social platform than you do on the writing, which is why we got into this industry in the first place. And like, I think I've literally had a, a conversation with every single one of my writer friends that has gone somewhere like, I just want to get back to the writing, <laughs> like, and forget all of this outside noise. Um, so so thank you so much for giving your perspective, especially as someone who is is actually successful on social media. The fact that you still do believe that like the writing is the focus, I think should show everyone like, even if you are successful on social media, let's not, you know, <laughs> let's not yeah. put too much weight in it. No, also, um, I mean, I know that a lot of people put a lot of like emphasis on social media, but I will say like, honestly, I, unless you build like a big enough following that people will just buy kind of whatever you write just because mm -hmm. they like you, you being an author like on social media is not going to sell like a ton of books. It's not like mm -hmm. going to make you a bestseller, like mm -hmm. make you sell like a hundred thousand books. It's the readers that will do that. Like Adam Silvera, like he was not even on TikTok when everything blew up for mm -hmm. they both die at the end. And like, I've, I've talked to him about it and like, that was all reader based because you have to think like it's cool to like be an author and people know your book and you kind of develop a presence or like being known as an author on the platform and then you yes like get fans or like followers who will buy your book mm -hmm. um eventually but I think if you're just trying to go and like hoping like I just need one viral post for my like book to get, go like book talk viral unfortunately it just doesn't work that way because the ones that do go viral that you see like are selling an outrageous number of copies because of book talk that's a hundred percent reader generated mm -hmm. and it's not mm -hmm. even that you yeah, it's not even that you can just like send a bunch of like book talkers your book and hope that they're going to post about it. It's really like the ones that really go viral, you'll see it. It's just like an account that has like maybe like 20 followers and then they their video about a book blows up because so many people find like a personal connection to it again just like a viral video people start commenting and then they they find something that an author isn't going to find inside of their book and they latch onto it and they post about it and then that goes viral um so i, I think that like trying to like kind of game the system or just doing it to sell books is unfortunately not it just doesn't work, especially because a lot of my viral posts are not about my books. I mean, mm -hmm. Lightlark is a little different. Lightlark, like my new young adult um, series, 
it went viral because of the concept and that's a little different but like speaking about emblem island like a lot of my videos have nothing to do with the book like most of my recent viral videos have nothing to do with any of my books or like me being an author so like that's not going to sell any books like me like going viral you know so I just think that's important to note too like don't I would hate for someone to think, oh my gosh, if I could just crack the code and just have one viral video, if I could just get a following on TikTok, like that will save my book. Like don't put that pressure on yourself because Mm -hmm. that's just not, that's not how it works. Fortunately or unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's important that you just enjoy whatever you're doing. And then that way, like whatever comes of it, then it's like a bonus, right? Yeah, um, at least you had fun. Because then yeah. you're not putting all this pressure on yourself. Um, and I think also, especially another factor is like the world of middle grade on social media versus YA is like completely different. Also, mm-hmm. it's like very rare for a middle grade author to have any sort of platform unless they're like really famous. Um, whereas for YA, that's like normal, right? Um, yes. So I think that's another thing, right, that to take into consideration, like, what age group do you write? Do you write picture books? I don't know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the, the thing with social media that I always tell people is, like, think of it as, like, you're making connections on there. You are giving yourself an opportunity to be, you know, to, to have more opportunities because you're on social media. But, um, but yeah, don't expect that you're going to be selling millions of copies, uh, on your own because that is very difficult to do even when you've got a big publishing machine behind you yep. Um, yep. Young has a secret she's a gumiho a shape-shifting nine-tailed fox that must hunt down men and devour their energy in order to live forever no one in modern day Seoul believes in the old tales anymore which makes it the perfect place to hide and to hunt but Myung's life is turned upside down when she saves the life of a human boy on Jihoon. And after Myung saves Jihoon's life, the two form a tenuous friendship that blooms into romance, setting them down a path that will soon force Myung to choose between her immortal life and Jihoon's. Wicked Fox and its companion novel Vicious Spirits finds inspiration in Korean mythology, culture, and K-dramas. Wicked Fox has been called a vibrant debut novel that employs Korean genre conventions for an utterly original take on the young adult fantasy by Entertainment Weekly and fresh and fast-paced by School Library Journal Review. Wicked Fox and Vicious Spirits are out now from Penguin Random House wherever books are sold. So you do have a young adult series that you mentioned in Light Lark. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So Lightlark also has islands and curses of magic. So I think that's <laughs> probably my brand, but it's a very different series. Um, not just the genre, but just um, the concept. So Lightlark is about an island that only appears once every hundred years to host a competition between the six rulers of realm to break their curses and to break all of their unique deadly curses one of the six rulers has to die and one will win a bunch of power and so they've been doing this over and over um, for many centuries and the main character is the new ruler um, that's coming into this competition and that's what light lark's about I'm, i could not be more excited about it it truly was a book that i wrote 
for me. Um, it's the type of book that I just love to read. And so the fact that it found an audience on um, TikTok through that original viral video and the fact that it actually got a publishing deal, I feel really lucky. It's so cool. When And when does Lightlark come out again? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have a set date. They, yeah, you you both know. <laughs> it's like, unless you get like the set date, like it's very- It can always right change. Now. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, but Emblem Island is already out. The first two. Yes. There's two out. Um, Emblem Island Curse of the Night Witch and then Emblem Island Curse of the Forgotten City just came out a few months ago. Good. Because we always like to have a book out for our listeners to buy at least 20 copies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They've got to. It's, it's a requirement. Um, but that's great. We'll link to, we'll link to that and, and your website so that people can learn more about all of your upcoming books for as long as you are writing books. Um, <laughs> so I know that, you know, you obviously debuted during a panini, which we talk about a lot on this podcast. And yeah. But part of the reason I do think is because, like, the the pandemic, I think, has really made people feel more isolated than ever. Um, so, like, is there anything that, like, you feel like you've got to do with your debut that, like, maybe rose up because of the pandemic? I know that some authors feel like they've been able to connect more with fans because it's, like, more accessible. Mm -hmm. Or any tips that you have for people <laughs> who are debuting the next few months? Yeah, I think that the unique thing, which was not, not necessarily a great thing, but something that anyone who's debuting and feels like if it doesn't happen, like the first week of your debut, if your book doesn't blow up, if everyone doesn't know about your book, then all hope is lost. Um, my book really started getting a lot of attention a year after it debuted, um, partially because it was the book of the month in paperback at Barnes and Noble in May. And then right after that, it was like in the Amazon book box. And I think we're about to be in another book box. And so that was just like another opportunity that I think like there's hope there are other things that like can propel your book forward beyond just debut week and so I, I felt like that was a great kind of I don't know um, a great lesson to learn that if it doesn't happen right away, like don't put so much pressure on your debut week if it doesn't happen, because we are again, like in a panini and <laughs> there's only so much we can do. Even, even if you had like full publisher support, like there, there's no like live events really happening. It's not like you're going to go on a cross country book tour anyway. So it's kind of evening the playing field a little bit. And I think like, obviously everyone has access to their phones and to computers. And I did find that the pandemic was a big opportunity for like my book talk and TikTok. like everything kind of like collided together. And that's why like book talk became such a huge deal during this time. Like there were more people than ever on TikTok. I obviously like benefited from it. And that's something that like maybe wouldn't have happened. Um, so obviously the panini like is horrible all around, but I think like trying to find like these little silver linings and these little ways that like I don't know, like, even though, again, like I said before, you shouldn't be like pressured to be on social media. It's also like kind of freeing and empowering to know that you do have this tool that kind of goes above different barriers. Like to, if you really like build a following and it doesn't have to be like hundreds of thousands or millions, like, I think we undervalue the importance of like a really, really strong 
following a, a few hundred people like if a few hundred people are going to buy your book like the first day that that's a big deal if they're mm-hmm. going to tell more people it grows exponentially yeah. and so I think that a lot of people are just like so focused on these major numbers which are amazing but at the end of the day like having like growing your following from people like that really care about you and your career and everything that you write is great and so I guess those are my tips. Like, don't don't put too much pressure on yourself. And like, you just never know what's around the corner. There's so many things out of your control, and there's so many things kind of in your control with social media. And don't let that be like something that, again, like puts pressure on you. I think let that be something that like is freeing to know that like it is a lot more of an even playing field now. Like there are issues right now with like the supply chain, everything that's affecting everyone. So um, I think just also accepting that like I mean the panini has affected every aspect of everything in the world so like I did release a lot of expectations and stuff last year with my book debuting like bookstores weren't even open I know the same thing like happened for like ghost squad like yeah it's just Mm -hmm. what can you do like unless you're the biggest author ever no one is gonna just like go on amazon or like barnesandnoble.com and type in your name so like it, it was a lot of just like kind of acceptance and also like the goal is to have a long career and you're not defined by your debut and just keep going if this is what you love to do. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And also I will say like, again, um, this is, this was uh, advice that my agent gave me initially Mm -hmm. too. She was like, um, so middle grade is like more of like, uh, it's like you build on the success, like, and it takes, it can Mm -hmm. take a long time for Mm -hmm. YA. There's more of an expectation for you to like break out immediately, even Mm -hmm. though you still don't have to in order to have a great career, but there's more of like a slow burn for middle grade in terms of like, like, and I see the same thing happening for ghost squad too, um, where a lot of the things that are happening are happening like now, um, which is really interesting and cool, but, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's nice to know that like, you don't only get one shot. Um, and it's scary. It could be scary as like, you know, marginalized authors too, because there's so much pressure on us, um, to like do well, but I'm really glad that like you found your, your audience and your footing, um, even though we we debuted during the worst possible time (laughs) yeah (laughs) we did it (laughs) it not good but i mean also i think what you made a really good point about was when you were talking about word of mouth because like obviously that's just the best way Mm -hmm. for an author to organically and sustainably grow a readership um is just kind of pointing out that like we're here for the long run you know we're not Mm -hmm. here to like have uh, you know, oh, quote unquote, overnight success, and then like peace out. We're here to like continue to write books and grow our backlist. Um, and I think like some t- it's easy to lose sight of that because it's very dazzling when you first get a book deal and and a traditional publisher is telling you like we're gonna market you, you're gonna have a publicist, we're gonna do X Y Z thing, like all of this like you know social media content or whatever we're gonna do you know that the that list on the back of like galleys that like yeah. is really really vague you know yeah. like, <laughs> national marketing yeah it's like what is this even like if 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 you talk about it in new york you talk about it in georgia then that's yeah. national right so um what does yeah. this even mean but um but I, I think we, we get dazzled, which, like, it's it's no fault of ours. Like, it is really exciting. Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's going to be a book. But 
um yeah like we're here for the long run like so I think I think remembering that is good as well yeah it's so good you've given so many like amazing tips and like insight and I think it's really great for people to see the fact that like it can (laughs) social media can be deceiving in such a Mm -hmm. way that people will be like oh well she blew up on TikTok so that's why meanwhile you're on like your third agent you've gone through it all you've been writing you wrote like 200 books like they don't know (laughs) you rewrote the same book over and over and over again because your computer (laughs) kept crashing (laughs) Apple store was useless like like people don't see that side of it you know they only see the last thing that you did um, and they only like focus on that you know they don't dig deep to like see how hard it was to get to that point you know a hundred percent and that's why I'm very open to like being very transparent because I would hate and I know this probably happens a lot for people like to see a video that I post and be like because I I do joke about like oh it took like I just like posted a video on TikTok and it got me a book deal and like that is partially true like it I was on submission I was getting a lot of rejections um and even like having like I had like Kirkus Starred reviews for my like first book and all this stuff and like I, I got rejected by a lot of agents too when I was querying um Light Lark but then on submission I was getting a lot of rejections and I just decided like this is one thing I can do for myself like who knows I posted the video and um at first like the first five hours it had no views I almost deleted it because it was embarrassing it was almost oh, like no. oh it was almost like proving that no one wanted the book and so I kept it up for some reason I think like all hope was lost and then um, I woke up the next morning and it had a million views and so it's a very like lightning in a bottle moment that like I I I probably could never replicate I'm not like a wizard or anything (laughs) so um but yeah I I did that and then within a week I went to auction and luckily the publishing house I went with was interested beforehand um they just hadn't made an offer yet um and yeah so it wasn't just for that reason but it did it does help like with with everything just like being able to just point to like hey like there are so many people who already are invested in the series and stuff uh-huh. but again I would hate for someone to see that and be like like I've seen a lot of like people like hoping that like I know like I was I was that person like hoping I'd like I would do anything any shortcut anything to like get a, an agent in a book deal but that is such a small tiny piece of the story like I had already had a yeah. book out for a year like I it, yeah so exactly what Clarabelle said I really <laughs> like although it would probably be a lot better like for me to just like be like oh yeah I just like this is like the first book I wrote nah. <laughs> that's like such such a a lie that's not what happened at all and I've it's been a really rough road and just so many rejections like literally thousands of rejections so many like books shelved and like everyone goes through this I, I I really don't even know any author that just they're got an agent on their first try and it booked you on their first try and everything was amazing on their first try um but yeah, that was not my story at all. So I'm, I'm happy to be able to clear up anything here. <laughs> yeah. I, I love your perspective on all of this because what the message that I'm kind of like reading from this is the idea of like, yeah, like you tr- you've tried a bunch of things and you're not discounting the effort that you put into all of those different parts of your journey, but you're aware enough of it and you're self-aware enough that like no one thing was was just it right um everything had to work together every part had to come together for you to get where you are today and i think that that's like a healthier way of looking for it and what 
we're what we're always trying to get at when we tell these stories of like you think that it was just this but it was all of the path before like we're trying to tell people like don't put all of your eggs in one basket don't think like you only need tiktok don't think you Mm -hmm. only need you know like to be best friends with another with other authors don't think you Mm -hmm. only need you know like (laughs) whatever (laughs) like but that's the thing is like people i hate how people try to simplify the key to getting published right Mm -hmm. there is no one key it's so Mm -hmm. many things that go into it that create the bigger picture and that's what we're always trying to tell people here and that's what your journey really illustrates for me um, as well, Alex is like, yeah, some of the things are flashier looking from the outside, but that was just one piece of a greater puzzle. And that's what I love about your story. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and hold on. I just had a brain fart. I wanted to, <laughs> to say something related to this and it just like completely left my brain. <laughs> Sorry. God did my, did my like diatribe? My like. <laughs> no, it was very weird. I was about to say it. And then my brain was like, no. We're yeah, just gonna forget this. All the time. I hate it so much. Oh, so annoying. Oh, no, no, no. I got it. I got it. I got it. Um, so when you were saying the thing, uh, Kat, about people who simplify the publishing process, I feel like a lot of times people who are doing that are just trying to go viral because I've yeah. seen so many videos of people are like, this is all you got to do to get a book deal. Put <gasps> yes. your book on Amazon. Go to sleep and then you'll make $5,000 a night. And I'm like, I hope you get launched into the sun. That is not how it works. This is why people have this, like, misconception about how hard it is to be Mm -hmm. a creative person. Um, Alex, so how many books total did you write, like, before you got published? I think it was six. Um, Hmm. I think Emblem Island was my sixth book. Um, And I rewrote and I'm not counting like the rewrites <laughs> um so it, it, it was a lot but also something that like I really put this on myself like I was so impatient and I always just like I didn't even want to like obviously I wanted a book deal but I didn't even know how that worked I just wanted an agent mm-hmm. like I was laser focused on getting an agent so I would like be dumb and like rush through writing a book and then just to query it out because it's a lot of like serotonin like getting those emails yeah. and I was kind of like addicted to that to like I still have such an unhealthy relationship with my inbox because like just <laughs> like getting an email is so much like going back to that time of like getting a rejection or getting a request and then getting a reject it's just it's such a toxic process as like you both like probably have obviously like been through Mm -hmm. it but um but yeah I just um I I didn't want you to take that I have no idea what I was talking about (laughs) twins I was dumb and like one of the lessons that like I really say all the time because I I do like a QA and a on my Instagram stories every weekend and I get a lot of the same questions but I get a lot of new ones too and I always always say like please do yourself like a favor and spend months editing because you would you think that like I did you think that you're saving time by just rushing and then querying it out but in reality you are probably like putting yourself backwards years which I definitely did because 
we all know like once you query every agent on the planet you cannot keep doing that so you kind of have to shelve a book and then start a new one so instead mm -hmm. of like editing it for two months i was querying for like a year getting rejected and then having to go back and start a new book that i would rush through and then query out as soon as i could instead of like if i'd really taken the time to edit those manuscripts like maybe it would have been different i'm not saying like i'm happy with how my journey like played out but I think like a really big thing that I would advise anyone who's querying is just you think I know what it is to be impatient and I know what it is to like want this so badly, but do yourself like in your manuscript like a favor and just edit <laughs> because yeah. it, it, it could make a huge difference between like we all know like an agent is kind of looking for a reason to say no just like a publisher because they get so many submissions. So if you like, it could be the difference between a yes or a no. So just do yourself a favor and don't be dumb like me and write a bajillion books before <laughs> you get represented. <laughs> oh, you're, you're giving such good tips. Honestly, great like, advice. this is a great advice episode, honestly. Yeah. Well, you know why? It's because she's a wordy. So she knows. You know. She knows what she wants to listen to. Okay. Yeah. That's what it is. I just want a whole preach at episode. You can cut me out. You can do like a sound clip. We should do one. We should do a whole pre-chat episode before the podcast ends, just for yes. pre-chat lovers. That would be so funny. Oh my gosh. I we did do, we did do an episode where we just got drunk and answered Q and A. That was That's one. That's true. I want that too. I want just an uh, Q and A episode. I love when you guys do like the single question. Well, okay. We'll, let's we'll write this down. Right, <laughs> write this, it down. This is Can't free content. This is free um, free content ideas. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Alex. Okay, Alex. As you know, everyone who's on Writer Die gives us their most embarrassing publishing related story or something they wish they'd known before they started. You could do either or you could do both. It's up to you. Hmm. Um, I obviously knew this question was coming, so I don't know why I'm <laughs> thinking about it. But I, I am thinking oh, about it because, <laughs> yeah, what could it be? Um, because I didn't have an embarrassing moment, but I guess I'll say that, um, Clarabelle, I met you, like, during, um, what was it, like, <laughs> ALA midwinter or something? It was in January. Yeah, yeah. At the very like beginning of 2020 so pre-pandemic and not I don't think this is embarrassing I mean maybe I think my embarrassing threshold is just gone like at this point I just don't get embarrassed a lot of uh, like you kind of have to like let go of your embarrassment to like post as much as I do on TikTok. yeah yeah <laughs> Let's be real. Um, but I I don't know maybe I was a little bit embarrassed by like my enthusiasm of like seeing you and I knew exactly who you are we have this really like cute picture of like us signing each other's mm -hmm. books but like I guess that <laughs> maybe embarrassing oh no um, yeah. don't be embarrassed I've I'm, been, a, I'm a giant dork <laughs> I've been saved a lot of like in person embarrassing moments because of the panini because like mm -hmm. we just haven't been like in person um, yeah. with like a lot of people so that I, I don't want to like cop out and not say an embarrassing moment because I don't like when people just don't say one so that that was my like mini <laughs> one uh, but for <laughs> the bigger answer that I did prepare for that what I wish I had known and this is another big thing that I always tell people is rejection is a gift a lot of times and I never 
would have ever like if I had heard this when I was 12 13 14 15 whatever like trying to get an EJ I would have been like oh my gosh that's so stupid but truly like whenever you get a rejection from an agent or an editor or anyone in this industry where like it really is so subjective it is a gift because you deserve an agent who absolutely thinks you're a genius and thinks you write the best stuff ever and you deserve a publishing house that is going to actively promote your book even if like it means that book isn't going to be published it's a lot better to just have a really supportive team around you so I used to get so upset when I would get a rejection um, for my queries like I've gotten so many of them but now on my third agent I can truly see that like if someone is not absolutely like just obsessed with your writing and with you and thinks you're the best person ever then like they shouldn't be your agent. So it's like a gift. You should like honestly be like, thank you for rejecting me because clearly like something about me you didn't like and that's fine. Like honestly, like in this industry, we know that like everyone around us, like our team doesn't make money until we make money. Like it's a commission-based business or like they get a percentage of our sales. And so truly it's really important that they believe in you and that they're your best advocate because it's not like we're paying them to just like represent us so they they on their side they really need to believe in whoever they're representing and i have been in situations before where like the person representing me like i felt like they didn't think I was anything. I, I felt like they thought I was the worst writer ever. I felt really insecure. And now like with my current agent who I absolutely love, they think the world of me. And like, sometimes you need that. Like I, I used to think like, oh, this is a business. I don't, I don't need that. Like they just like, like they have like their role, like as long as they do that fine. Like, but no, like <laughs> being in this industry for like a few years and like there are so many highs and lows, no matter who you are, like you, you need to have a team around you that truly believes in you. So I would just say like, I know that there's someone listening right now that is sad over rejection. Like, please, please, like you will see it as a gift later on because maybe this is not supposed to be your debut. If my debut is the first book I wrote, oh, oh my gosh, amen. I would be like, mm. I would literally <laughs> be like um, blacklisted from the industry. Uh, oh. So like that, that was a gift. Like it was a gift that like I de debuted with the book that I debuted. Like it was a gift that like my, like I parted ways with like the people that I parted ways with, like all of that like was a gift. You don't feel it in the moment. Rejection always hurts, but like, please, I promise you if you keep going, you will one day look back and be like, that was the right thing to have happened. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's great advice. Agreed. I love that. I love that. And it's very true because a lot of times we get hung up on dream agent, dream this, dream yeah. that. And it's like you mm -hmm. don't actually know what is going to be the right fit for you until you or start working with someone. Mm -hmm. Like when I was 15, I would have like, if a shoe was an agent, I would have let it <laughs> awesome well alex thank you so much for chatting with us and sharing your journey with us it's been such an amazing talk of course thank you so much can you let all of our listeners know where they can find you on the internet Yes, yeah, so my TikTok is alex.aster and my website is asterverse.com. Awesome. I love your I love your website name by the oh, way. I think it's you. so cool. It's super cool. I do really love that. All right. Well, we'll have all of that linked in the show notes as well as where to buy 
the Emblem Island books and to add Light Lark to your TBR. So definitely go check those out. Buy the prerequisite 20 copies. All that fun jazz. And Alex, yeah. thank you again for being Thanks, on. Thanks, Thanks for listening to Write or Die. Be sure to check out Wicked Fox by Kat Cho. And Ghost Squad by Clarabel A. Ortega. And while you're at it, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. See you next time, Wordies. And don't forget to spread the word.